Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, IndyCar fans. This is Nathan Brown, your motorsports insider with the Indianapolis Star here after a uh, long-anticipated break, Um, a good one, but certainly uh, one that we are excited to move forward from. We are here, as always, with uh, the driver of the number 60 Meyer Shank Racing Honda, Jack Harvey, my co-host, to talk today about some uh, news that pertains to him, his racing career, and his future, as well as uh, the big machine Music City Grand Prix that will take place this Sunday afternoon slash evening to help get us out of our uh, midsummer break and take us into the final stretch of the 2021 IndyCar season. So as always, uh, Jack, how are you doing and uh, how did you enjoy your four-week break, at least away from racing? I know you were in the car a little bit here and there with uh, testing and, um, and and preparing for this big race weekend we have here coming up in just a few days in Nashville. Uh, honestly, man, I really enjoyed the break. Um, you know, I love watching the Olympics. I think that's what a lot of us did in this time. Uh, you know, certainly to feel like I didn't have any void of sports to watch and I think the things I like about the Olympics the most is it kind of makes us all the worst kind of sofa coaches on sports <laughs> that I have no idea that, you know, I'm probably never going to watch again, or at least not for another four years. Um, you know, obviously tested in Portland last week and all that went very well, but obviously the bigger, the biggest news uh, coming out is I'll be leaving uh, my shank racing at the end of this season. So, um it's been it's been super busy, mate. It's been you know good stress, bad stress, all different types of stress, you know. But ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm really really excited for the future, um, you know. And the the break itself has you know served its purpose, I think, for me really well because I'm getting to the point where I'm just I'm itching to get back into the car. I don't think we've ever seen so much hype around the you know, an IndyCar race outside of the Indy 500, you know, like the anticipation is for Nashville, which I just think is just awesome. Um, But, you know, enjoyed the break. Now it's time to go again. We'll get to more on Nashville here in a second, uh, but obviously want to to touch on what you said there just a few seconds ago, as you mentioned, um, we learned, I believe it was a couple Fridays ago, um, through a, a press release and then some statements that followed both from from you and the team that uh, that you will in fact be leaving uh, your full-time ride at, at Meyer Shank Racing in the number 60 at the end of the season. First things first, obviously, as you mentioned, you're still finishing out this year. We've got six races left, um, five of those of which you'll be racing with your teammate in the 06, uh, Elio Castroneves. Um, which I know, as you said, you're you're excited about. But it was certainly uh, a big piece of news that I think 
um, you know, I mean, really theoretically, I, th- I guess it was probably the first big piece of silly season news that we've had um, to kind of get the ball rolling on all of the stuff that will take place over the last two months or so of the season and certainly trickle into much of the ensuing off season. Um, take, I, I know when we, you know, I read the press release, I, I did have a chance to talk with uh, Mike Shank that following uh, that following Friday to get a little bit of his side. But um, kind of take me through the, you know, as much as you can, obviously the decision-making process in all of this, because I do think this is something that um, caught a, a good amount of the the paddock, at least maybe publicly, and certainly lots of race fans, both of yours and just of the sport in general, uh, a little bit by surprise. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I hate to be connected and, you know, it's a silly season. Um, you know, I think it's, I wish that we could conclude a lot of these things at the end of the year. Um, you know, obviously it makes for good writing and good speculation, you know, throughout the, you know, final part of the season. And, um, you know, the decision-making process, you know, is, is an extremely long one. Uh, you know, we weighed up a lot of different things and it, that's probably as much as I really like to say about it up to now. Uh, you know, I have so much respect for, for Michael, Jim, you know, everybody at uh, Maya Shank Racing. I think people know the story, but I don't think they realize how entwined, you know, we have all been together, you know, perhaps more entwined than, you know, some other drivers and teams that I can, that can, I can't think of anybody else really who's more, um, been there from the start and watched the team grow and expand, you know, and even in terms of finding alternation, uh, you know, in Sirius XM and even Jim Meyer joining the team, really, we were the ones who made the introductions to, uh, you know, to Michael and whatnot. So extremely tough decision and, you know, certainly don't want to, um, I, I have nothing negative to say about, about the team. You know, I, I, I so respect everybody there and, you know, this is an incredible chapter of my life, um, you know, and I just have a lot of thankfulness to, to Michael and Jim, you know, to everybody at Automation, Sirius XM. Um, you know, and obviously as one chapter comes to an end, uh, another one will start. So uh, wasn't intentionally trying to be the first domino <laughs> to fall uh, or anything like that. We did have a conversation with Michael and Jim, and um, you know the outcome of that was obviously the the announcement. But um, you know my preference would have been to have waited to the end of the year. And one other thing, I just I didn't I didn't super love uh, that, and I haven't really heard too many people talk about this, and certainly not to me anyway. But in that same announcement, we missed something that was really quite huge, and that was Elio going full time again. Mm-hmm. You know, in the 06 and. Uh, I personally would have liked to have seen them have been separate announcements, um, you know, the good coupled with the bad, as it were. But, um, you know, I, I'm so happy for, you know, My Shank Racing with the continued support that they're going to get, but also with Elio going full time. You know, I think after he won, won Indy for the fourth time, we all kind of assumed that perhaps he uh, that he would be, and I think he deserves it. And he's such a great guy, and I'm, I've so enjoyed being being his teammate that um you know certainly will sad when it you know comes to a uh, to an end at the end of the year but um yeah it's uh, it's it's not an easy 
it's, a, it's the most difficult decision I've had to make. I know everybody says that, but, you know, if, if people understand, you know, the people I normally lean on would be, you know, my parents and they obviously they haven't been at the track, you know, because of COVID and they've been in the UK. You know, I spent a lot of time talking with, uh, you know, my support team and, um, you know, that decision that we uh, that we came to, it was best to um, make a change. Sure. Um, I want to ask you this, and, and I hope that I tread this carefully, but I, th- I think it was, it's at least maybe important to try and touch on because from talking to, you know, we've heard, you know, I, I wrote a story from, you know, Mike's perspective, talking to him, uh, some other folks have done the same. And um, I, at least when I read the release, it did come off that this was large in part, um, you know, a, a decision that you made. I know Mike said that he was, you know, fairly shocked by it and it took him quite a bit by surprise. So I want to give you a chance maybe, I mean, did you feel like this was truly a decision that, that you made on your own? Is this something that you maybe you brought up and turned into a, you know, a, a decision that came together from both sides, um, you know, both Jim and Mike and you, how, how would you characterize this um, news, I guess, is maybe the, the best way to phrase that? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, ultimately, it was my decision. Um, you know, we, we went back and we chatted to Michael and Jim, and, you know, certainly they they seemed surprised. Um, and, you know, honestly, after, after that, the conversations that, you know, kind of followed, uh, you know, I respect I'll keep between, you know, the people who had the conversations. Um, you know, and again, the thing is, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not proud that it was my decision, but ultimately, you know, it's what I felt was the right thing for my career moving forward. Um, you know, and I have so much respect for Michael and Jim that, yeah, I've got nothing negative or untoward to say. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back that it was my decision, and you know, I'm the one who decided to leave the team or anything like that. But um, you know, I thought the the announcements and the way that they played out were kind of interesting because it it kind of it, it read like I was getting fired, you know, then we put out our statement and then Michael did another one and said, no, and Jack wasn't fired. It was his decision. And it seemed like we were on this like merry-go-round <laughs> a little bit of actually like what happened. But, um, you know, I, again, the only, the only thing I can really, you know, strongly reiterate is, you know, how grateful I am to, to Michael and Jim, you know, and like I said to them, you know, in, in Portland and when I, you know, I chatted to the whole team, you know, the good work that we've done, together is what's leading to other opportunities and you know that, that, that's not lost on me or wasted on me you know I so appreciate it and you know hopefully they feel the same you know from them to, to me and me to them you know because I feel like we've shown the potential of what this package can be you know many many times although we haven't still really got the end result I think they look like a you know fantastic team because of the hard work we all have put in together and you know, it's just, in in my career anyway, it's the it's just the end of one of the end of one of the chapters, and um, you know, I'm excited for the the start of the next one. I know it's incredibly rare, and frankly, I mean, just off the top of my head, um, right now, I can't think of anyone who has strictly raced for 
just one IndyCar team uh, throughout their entire IndyCar career. I mean, even someone like uh, Ed Carpenter has, you know, the the makeup of quote unquote the team that he has raced for has changed, even though his name uh, has most of the time, if not the whole time, been on it or at least associated with it. So I know just about every driver goes through either goes through making this decision as you did or uh, I guess has the decision made for them um, at some point in their racing career. So we see partnerships like this come to an end just about all the time at some point uh, or other. But I know, as you mentioned, yours was extremely important. We saw you know, Mike's IndyCar endeavors and your career coming out of Indy Lights just kind of grow in a, a parallel direction. And as you mentioned, uh, not too long after the start of that, had a chance to add Jim and, and Sirius into the fold, which is, uh, I know, played a, a major role in allowing you guys to jump from, you know, just running the Indy 500 to six races to 10 to ultimately a full season last year. Um, did you, ha, has there been a point in all of this, I don't know if this would come in the decision decision making process, or you know maybe over these last couple weeks, um, where you've had a chance to think about maybe maybe some of the the positives that could come from a fresh start, both for you as well as the team. As you know, as you mentioned, the team said that they will indeed run a second full-time car next year. Elio is going to be in the, the 06 full-time uh, at a spry 46 years old and that they will also have a, a driver in the, uh, in the number 60 car uh, that will be announced at a, at a later date. So do you, as both of you guys at the end of this year on, you know, September 26th after the Long Beach go your separate ways, do, do you feel like there's, some some benefits as great as that close relationship has been to just kind of start a, a, another chapter in your racing career for yourself um i mean ultimately yes because we we took the decision to <laughs> sure make a change um you know there was no there was nothing that happened you know that made me feel like my seat was in in jeopardy uh, you know, a couple of people asked if Elio going full time, if that impacted me in a negative way and, you know, things like that. And, you know, there, there was nothing, you know, I, I hate to, you know, repeat myself. It, it simply was just a, you know, decision at this stage in my career that I felt like we needed to, um, needed to make. And in, in all the conversations that followed, you know, since the announcement, we actually went and tested, you know, in Portland and, um, you know, so was it different? I mean, yeah, maybe a little bit, you know, but it also was the first time that I've seen, you know, my colleagues that I've worked for, you know, and like put a hundred percent effort in and they have to me, you know, for the first time knowing it's not going to be that way next year, you know, by the end of the day, everyone was great. And I think that's the level of respect that we have, you know, for each other. Um, you know, and our Portland test went very well and, you know, like I said to Michael and Jim, you know, several times and to the guys on the uh, who work on the car and everyone in the organization, I will give them 110, you know, to the last day of my contract. You know, there's 
no doubt of that in, in my mind. Um, I know and I really believe that they will give me their best effort as well, you know, because that's how we've always been with each other. And, you know, whether they would reciprocate this or not, you know, I'm, I'm a never say never kind of person because I've been around racing for long enough in my life to know that some of these things can, you know, come full circle. And the thing that we have tried to do throughout this whole process is obviously, and I'm not, again, I'm not happy about this, but is deliver some bad news, you know, to people. And obviously it was a shock to a lot of people, but we still, you know, we didn't shy away from it. We didn't do it in a shady way or anything like that. You know, we were very upfront about it. We did it respectfully. I think, uh, you know, I thought our announcement was respectful. I want to be respectful to where we're going next. You know, I have an immense amount of respect for everybody who competes in the NTT IndyCar series as, you know, as drivers, as teams, um, you know, and that's how we want to finish the season off, you know, in a, in a really strong performance-based way, but also as, in a respectful way, you know, because we're going to share the paddock with everyone again next year, in the next few years, uh, I hope. And, um, you know, I, I just want to be, I just want to be respectful because I feel like that's, that's how I was brought up and, you know, we've continued to try and go down that path. Sure. As you uh, mentioned, and you certainly hinted at in your statement that you put out that Thursday, um, you do have a, a new or a, a potential new home. I know you can't share anything with us right now. It's something that we will find out here in uh the weeks to come but i have to assume even just generally speaking uh you know for you to make a, a decision like this that i know was as tough as you tough on you as it was that it has to be something that you're you're incredibly excited about and feel like um provides a lot of growth uh potential and just opportunities at large for you as you you know push on through your your racing career yeah i would say that's probably a fair fair assumption to make um you know I, the thing i've the thing i thought about a lot in the last you know two months honestly are all the people who have helped me get to this stage you know my, my parents my sister you know my my long-term supporters from go-karting you know through my foundation that i was a part of called the rsf you know who helped fund my open wheel career in, in europe and actually they were the people who brought me to america uh, you know, my girlfriend, Gracie, you know, living the highs and the lows with me every day. Um, I would never be reckless with my career because my career hasn't happened without the immense amount of support from so many people. And I wouldn't throw that away, you know, without being, uh, you know, either really confident that there is something coming next or really excited about the opportunities that are coming next. Um, you know, so... I certainly haven't got here on my own. That's why I'll always be grateful to Michael, Jim, everybody at MSR. And, um, you know, I, I really am very excited for, for what's coming next. You know, hopefully it'll be announced. Uh, well, hopefully it'll be announced at the appropriate time. You know, I guess, you know, trying to keep uh, keeping fitting with the, the theme that we're trying to shoot for here. And that's to be, um, you know, as, as respectful as, as possible. I mean, you know, it's obviously not the news a lot of people thought they were going to hear and you know i hate being tied to you know silly season you know <laughs> but um you know it is it is what it is and 
yeah, you know, ultimately, yeah, the, the thing I'm focused on and the thing that I've been focused on all, all year so far, I'm focused on Nashville, you know, and, you know, before Nashville, we're focused on Mid-Ohio, and after Nashville, I'm going to worry about Indy Road Course, and we're just going to keep ticking off, you know, the boxes to keep having good performances because the opportunities that are coming, uh, personally, I think are going to be awesome, but not looking too far ahead because we've still got a job to do now. Sure. Um, one last question and then we'll, we'll switch gears. Um, was, uh, I, I hear you talking about all the support that you've gotten um, from obviously not only Mike and Jim and, and Sirius and, and all of your teammates at Meyer Shank Racing, but your parents and your girlfriend and, and sister and family at large and, uh, and and the other folks that helped get you through the racing ranks through, you know, carts, uh, you know, into eventually into Indy Lights and, and eventually having a, a chance to take an opportunity that, that Mike gave you to run the 500 uh, that built over a couple of years into a full season. And I wonder um, how a, a driver... You know, we, I mean, we see drivers, we see professional athletes at large kind of bet on themselves and take a step away from something that may be familiar and comfortable, whether it's, you know, you know, oftentimes it's a, a team um, that they've been with for a large time in their career. And sometimes we see folks stay there for the length of their career, um, but more, more often than not, um, you know, there are times when folks have to make a decision where they feel like it's time for a change. And I'm curious to know where you derive that um, that confidence and that certainty to know when the time is right to make such a, a decision. Because I can certainly, I would, you know, granted, I've not had to make something uh, like this, you know, from an athlete standpoint. I've had a, a couple jobs in my days, and and sometimes I've had to make decisions to to take some some risks. Certainly, but just kind of curious to know the mindset uh, of a driver and a professional athlete when you're making a decision like you ultimately made, and and how you um, parse through the decisions of you know. You know, maybe it's not the right time for this, um, or, or maybe it is, and obviously, ultimately, you decide that that it that it was. Oh, um, I mean, you could probably have a whole podcast just on that question <laughs> alone. Uh, I mean, it's a super difficult one to to answer, and you know, maybe once the season's finished, we could dive into that in you know a little bit more you know detail, uh, sure, you know, things like that, and. Um, you know, decision making. You know, the decision making process, and you know, depending on what it is, whether you know you're thinking about making a a change in the team, whether you're trying to you know change the way you apply strategies and things like that. I mean, ultimately, everybody has to do it. You know, it just depends on in which situation. Because one of the things as a team we have chatted about this year is okay, like you know, maybe not every strategy call has been awesome, but what was the decision and what was the thinking process behind it? Because if if it's not necessarily the call that's the problem, it was the train of thought that we had up to it, you know, then that's where we have to spend the time working through the issues, you know. Uh, so I think everyone, in whether they think they're doing it or not, are probably working through things like that themselves all the time. Um, 
you know, I, I, w- I would guess, you know, in as briefly a, a way as I guess I could try and answer it. I think you just, you, you toss it all up, you weigh up the pros and the cons. And, you know, after that, I guess you, you make a decision on what you think is right. And, you know, I think that one of the hardest things is, and I wish I had a better way of explaining it, is it's a gut feeling, right? I mean, I'm sure we've all had, you know, gut feelings on if something is, is the right time, not the right time. Um, you know, and throughout my career, you know, the thing that, as you said, I think a lot of athletes do, you know, bet on themselves, you know, not actually going and putting bets on themselves, but like bank on themselves, you know, and things like that. And, um, you know, there's certainly is no exception. You know, I, I feel like we've done a, a really good job at showing what our potential can be. I think we've, we, we need to do better on Sundays. You know, there's no, I don't, I don't think there's any dispute on, on that. Um, but, but I do think everyone is making decisions all the time. Um, some of them are maybe a little more public, uh, you know, and require mm-hmm. more answers. But um, yeah, I think a lot of, more, perhaps more like the whys, uh, what I'll probably get into another another time. Um, you know, I think ultimately everybody is is making decisions throughout. You know, almost every day. That's a fair point, uh, and we will leave that at that. One thing I want to touch on really quickly um, before we do get to Nashville. Uh, I mean, it's it's tangentially related to. Um, to that news with with Elio officially coming into the fold full time, you know we know that Meyer Shank will now have a, a second full time entry next year, and that along with uh, some news that we got earlier this week uh, about Hunkos returning to IndyCar uh, with a new partner in Brad Hollinger uh, for the final three races of 2021 and in a, a full time capacity in 2022 um means you know means that we would assume you know unless one of these cars you know one of these teams that we have presently um scales back we'll have at least 26 cars at every single race next year and and it does seem like there's a, a fairly good likelihood whether it comes from expansions from ray hall letterman lanigan racing or ed carpenter racing or new teams from uh, Top Gun, uh, who has talked about possibly um, coming to the series full-time. Pareto Autosport has mentioned the exact same thing. Um, You've got the folks at Air McLaren SP that are talking about possibly adding a third car there. And it, it amounts to, you know, obviously an incredible positive for IndyCar and the series at large. And it's um, and the, the folks that run the series. But one thing that I've kind of wondered about, and, I, and I'm sure both drivers and team owners and probably even race promoters have some varying opinions on this. When you, you talk about 26 cars um, at every single race and the likelihood that you have some of these you know partial entries that always crop up every year, from from race to race and some effects like you guys were here just a couple years ago you know teams that are very young and very new that are trying to build up toward full-time capacity you have i know a couple tracks on the schedule uh ones like toronto and mid ohio come to mind where very quickly at that 26 car mark you're really starting to hit 
the capacity of what some of these tracks can take in terms of um, stalls on on pit lane. I think if memory serves me right, we've we, we just raced at Mid Ohio about a month or so ago, um, and I think every single um, spot on pit lane may have been full. We had 26 cars there, so I, I don't know exactly what this does mean for the series, and it's something that I plan to try and ask both series officials and and promoters and and team owners about here in the weeks to come, but. Um, I'm curious to know what you maybe expect this could mean for some races, whether we will see, I mean, I don't, I've heard wild varying ideas from like knockout qualifying where teams actually, you know, might get sent packing before a race even starts because they don't qualify for it. Obviously like you see in bump day with the 500 or whether it might simply eliminate some of the venues that IndyCar can race at uh, if, you know, if the track isn't interested in in putting the money forward to expand their pit lane, uh, you know, maybe there are some other um, potential effects that this could bring. But I'm curious, you know, when you hear about that, obviously there's a, a massive positive to it, but just curious what comes to mind and what you think this might mean for the series as we continue to see and and probably expect some further expansion both next year and maybe in the next three to five years. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the first thing, it, it seems like a good problem to have, right? Mm-hmm. You know, trying to figure out, like, how we would manage these things and, you know, uh, the pit lane's big enough. I mean, because if there's only 10 cars out there, you would not be worried about the pit lane. You'd just be like, how do we get more cars? Mm-hmm. You know, so firstly, my initial reaction is I like Ricardo. You know, I really respect what he's done, you know, at Junkos. And I was really happy to see that news you know he's just one of them guys who you know honestly i truly was just happy that that was happening for him um you know after that i mean it's a pretty i say significant problem it is a huge problem because at mid ohio for example and because that was the last race but also a good example i don't know where you fit another car in truth you know and the way the pit lane is set up there I don't know how you would easily extend it. So for, for as great as I think it's a great headache, but ultimately I think it probably will be a headache for someone this off season, especially seeing, you know, all the extra cars that you hear right now that are rumored to be expanding and stuff like that. And if they actually happen, I mean, if you just said 26, I mean, what, what's the high end of what you think could be full time next year? 29, maybe? Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, you talk about 26. I mean, the only place that I could really see someone pulling back a car um, would potentially be Team Penske. And I don't know which way, which direction they're going. We all know that Simon Pagano is in a contract year. And Tim Sidrick uh, told me actually just uh, the Saturday before Mid-Ohio, um, quite quite frankly actually that if simon is not in that car next year that they will not have anyone in that car so it's either simon or or they will jump back down to three full-time cars and i would assume then have you know a fourth driver in some capacity for the 500 uh and maybe another race or two in the season so you know maybe as far as things are you know as they stand now 
as we mentioned, we are at 26. That, if that did happen, which I'm not saying I necessarily expect it to happen, would bring us down to 25. But I mean, between between all those potential additions that we mentioned, I mean, I think the most likely one seems like uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing, which seems like it's trending every single weekend in the right direction as they continue to have that 45 car out there on the track longer and longer. I know they're making a push for that leader circle spot um, to, to secure that, which then if they ran full time next year, they believe by the rules that they'd be entitled to that leader circle money that amounts to close to $1 million, which is uh, I know plays a major role in team budgets. So I think that's the most likely one and certainly the one that I, you know, if I had to make a bet right now, I say that we, we will likely see. Um, and then really any of the, uh, the other two that would be, you know, teams expanding, I certainly wouldn't be surprised by between Air McLaren, SP, or potentially even Ed Carpenter Racing. You know, Ed told me at Mid-Ohio that, you know, they would love, in, you know, in a perfect world, to be able to have Connor full-time if the Air Force budget allows it, even though it's something that they won't find out about until, uh, you know, a couple months down the road. And if that were to happen, that they would then likely, uh, the Ed would continue running ovals and they would try to find another road and street course driver um, to, to put them at, at three cars. And I could certainly see Aaron McLaren SP um, also adding a, a third car as well. So, uh, even when you aren't talking about teams like Top Gun or Peretta, um, which from a full-time basis maybe there are slightly more long shots, I feel like I feel like it's very realistic that we will see 27 or 28, and I think 29. And I guess I mean I guess you would say technically speaking, the most possible would be let's see what if I if I can do some real quick math in my head here 20 we're at 26 27 going to a nine probably 31 would be the max so maybe a realistic number between 26 to 31 is probably in that like 28 range is probably maybe what I what I think will be at so um I mean the, yeah the I mean that's to me when is the last time there was 28 full-time indie cars on a grid that is my, that is, uh, well, full-time car. Yeah, I don't know about full-time. Obviously, I know, um, you know, we're going to have 27 total cars on the grid this weekend at, uh, in Nashville. And we'll also have that uh, on the IMS road course the weekend after that following Saturday. And you have to go back, actually, to 2013 in Long Beach to find the last non-Indy 500 race where IndyCar had that many cars on track at all. In between 2010 and 2013, um, there were you know a handful of times, as I found in research outside the 500, where we had, I think, as maybe as many as, as 31. Um, obviously, we had whatever it was, 34 uh, in, in Vegas, and that race didn't end up uh, going to completion for, for obvious reasons. Um, but there were... I think there was a, a Texas doubleheader day or weekend where um, there were maybe like 31 cars. Uh, and I, again, I don't know how many of those were full time or not, probably a, a handful. But there was I think there was also a, a, a time in IndyCar's history coming out of the split where it was probably even more common for to see teams run, you know, maybe a half to two thirds of the season 
um, in that time frame. So it's a it's a great question, and I frankly, um, I if you if you told me this was like pre-split era of the series, uh, it would absolutely not surprise me at all. Uh, and and frankly, don't know when that would have been, but it certainly speaks to we, we've been talking about it all year, but certainly speaks to how healthy this series is uh, from a, a big picture standpoint. If you've got 28 teams that are willing to put um, willing to put or able to um, pool together the millions of dollars that it takes to, to run an IndyCar team. Uh, and it's pretty amazing that we're seeing this coming out of uh, a pandemic that certainly rocked the series as, as hard as it did just last year and even had some some lingering effects uh, early on in this one. Definitely. All right. Well, um, heading into, uh, as we said, the, the main event this weekend in Nashville, we'll go over some quick particulars. You guys have a, I believe, a 75-minute practice on Friday afternoon slash early evening, depending on how you want to characterize it. You guys then have you know, another practice as normal uh, in qualifying on Saturday and then a race on NBC Sports that I believe is scheduled to go green shortly after 5.30 Eastern, um, 4.30 Central for those of you who will be watching at home, certainly a big deal to be able to get a lead in from the Cup Series, which I think lots of folks certainly hope uh, potentially push and maybe even you know break a record uh, on uh, NBC Sports ratings, like we've gotten close to. I think it was at Road America most recently with over eight hundred thousand. Um, but sim- certainly, just the hype around this Nashville race, even without that that boost, I think could probably get you guys there when you look at this i know you have a different perspective on this weekend than i do as a member of the media and then and different even more so than um you know the the fan whether it's a a super heavy indycar fan a casual indycar fan who's super excited just to be in nashville at large maybe there's someone who is you know there for the music and the ticket happens to get them into <laughs> an, an IndyCar race, which I, I think there will certainly be a, a decent handful of. Um, when you talk about this excitement that you have of this new event on the calendar, the first new street course race that IndyCar has had in nearly a decade, dating back to the the time when they had. Sao Paulo start in uh, 2010. I think Baltimore started in 2011, and then maybe Houston started in 2013, and only was on the calendar for two years. Um, what excites you the most about this brand new date and location on the calendar? Oh, mate! Honestly, so many things. Uh, I think Nashville. Nashville's like probably the number one place when I tell people, or the people are like, oh, have you been have you been here yet? And it's like, have you been to Nashville? And I'm like, no. It just comes up again, like such a vibrant city, obviously great music scene. You know, people tell me the food's really great, you know, nice people there. And it, it's a big enough city to feel like you're in a major city, but maybe not so international that it hasn't lost its... Um, Mm, heritage, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, to me, like, don't get me wrong, I love London, love New York. They're so multicultural now, you know, that it's kind of like, if I was in the UK, going to London's great, but probably going to Manchester gives you a slightly more real perspective of what it's like living in the UK. Mm-hmm. You know, and I guess that's how I feel like going to Nashville. I feel like I'm going and seeing, you know, a really cool part of the United States. And what I'm excited about, it's a brand new track for everybody. It's a great level, great leveler, sorry, you know, throughout the series. Um, I think it's, I, I'm really, these things might not matter to other people, but I certainly love it. I love being a part of a inaugural race. Um, just think that's really cool. And I think that the depth in talent this year is so strong that, you know, having a first time race on this calendar year with this group of drivers somehow seems fitting to me. Um, you know, I love being, I love being one of the, the guys out there this weekend and the atmosphere. I can't think of a time I've ever been more excited about an IndyCar race outside of the Indy 500 ever. Honestly, and like I, I know so many people who are going, you know, so many people that even live in Indy who don't always go to the Grand Prix or something like that who are going this weekend because they just think it's going to be such a blast. You're going to have concerts going on. You know, I mean, some people for sure will go for the music and they happen to see a race. Some people go for the race and will happen to see, you know, some of a concert. Either way, it's it has that gravitas of an event that is going to be really significant and hopefully significant for many years to come as well. So, I mean, you're trying to rack your brain and you're like, well, you know, what maybe won't be that great? And you're like, oh, maybe traffic, you know, but like we have traffic everywhere you go. So it's just going to be so awesome. And I love the IndyCars, the series, the organizers of the race were able to get together and put on something that I think will be a really great race, but also an incredible fan interaction in a city that's not Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And I love Indy and I love being here. I'm actually sat on my balcony in Carmel right now. You know, <laughs> I so love it. I feel like an honorary Hoosier at this point. And I know what the Indianapolis Motor Speedway means to this community. But I do think it's healthy to see that same level of excitement in other places too. I agree. Um, we were talking earlier off pod um you know about the fact that you you said you haven't been to uh nashville before i went i think as a high schooler um for a couple days but it's it's a city i feel like almost in a sense both from you know my reporting about this event both when it was announced back in september as well as the last couple weeks and months leading up to the the race on Sunday. I feel like I know and understand it very well, but I, I just think it is a different, it's going to be a different experience when you get to step foot. Uh, I know it's probably one of those cities that is tough to compare. I mean, I know when I've asked people a little bit about what it's like, you know, you can maybe imagine um, you know, the super crowded sidewalks of like a uh, a Las Vegas or a New York City. It's certainly nowhere near as big as New York City. Um, and maybe in some ways everything is everywhere you want to be, I think is from what I understand pretty well condensed 
maybe a little bit like a, a Las Vegas, and it's so much of it is centered around entertainment and music and shows. But I, what I do think the really cool part about this is, um, and I, I've learned a little bit about this today, the, the fact that there's really actually going to be very little parking on site um, for, yeah, for fans well. <laughs> and no media alike we're you know we're gonna have to i i don't know if you're gonna have to be on the same shuttle system that i'm gonna be on but um it 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 is certainly forcing you know if you're not one of those folks that uh, is on the the hotel shuttle that they've organized i know at least for for media and race and team personnel um which i've even f- even further got to kind of figure out because i'm actually not staying in a downtown downtown nashville hotel because um i feel like it's it's easy to admit that um you know a 400 to 500 dollar a night hotel wasn't something that uh too many newsrooms uh are super did it, did uh, ex- this year? <laughs> uh, i did not did not and I, I mean frankly i should have expected it to be one of the most, if not the most expensive hotels that I was going to be staying in this year. But I, I will tell you that the prices even uh, made me a little bit bug-eyed um, when I first was looking at it uh, a while back. So I'm I'm somewhere off, no, I wouldn't say I'm in the suburbs, but I'm in the probably the outskirts where if you were driving to the stadium, you know, maybe I have a 10 or 15 minute drive uh, in, in normal traffic. Um, but getting to my point, I think part of what's really cool is that you're going to have so many people taking in this course and every, you know, the whole area that is fenced in, that's part of this racing venue, totally, completely on foot. Um, whether it's walking over the pedestrian bridge, over the Columbia river, over toward Nissan stadium, or you know, walking back over that bridge at night after having been, you know, near the racetrack and and pit lane and uh, the the transporters and everything, and being able to walk right into, um, you know, a, a really great restaurant or a honky tonk or you know a, a dive Can bar. Can I ask you a question, quick? Yeah, sure. What the heck is a honky tonk? I am. Uh, not the right person to ask on that because I'm not actually even quite sure. But because I am right by my computer, I will even uh, type that into Google. We'll see what Google tells. It says, "I feel like uh, I've heard that on a song more than one time." <laughs> absolutely, it is a uh, according to the uh, top result on Google, a honky tonk is both. A, let's see here, both a bar. Um, and a bar that provides country music for the entertainment of its patrons and the style of music played in such establishments. Essentially, it's a it's a, a country music bar. Uh, I w- would imagine you would expect it to be, you know, fairly loud and and rowdy. And I think it's those places, you know, when you see photos of Nashville where people are just like spilling into the streets on a weekend, uh, the places that you see. Uh, a lot of bachelorette parties flocking to particularly in the summer. I think that's that's the type of establishment that you're probably envisioning. So I know uh, I know that there are quite a lot of those. If that is your fancy, it's not necessarily mine, but it will certainly be cool to just see um, that atmosphere in general. But I mean, it will just be cool that 
you can you can I think legitimately certainly if you have a little bit of money to spend on a hotel, be able to, and you can do this probably in you know a handful of the street venues that IndyCar has, but really get a great racing experience, a great um, dining experience, a great entertainment experience, and have your hotel all within walking distance of each other in a really high class city, and I think that is something uh, that certainly is part of the the staying power of this event that it has in terms of its potential. You, we, we touched on the concerts a little bit. I think they pretty much have like a headlining concert um, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evening. Uh, I know Alan Jackson was one of those names that was um, taken off due to some conflicts, and they have a, a different band playing in his place one of those evenings. But if you're a country music fan um, and care even just a little bit about racing uh i imagine you probably know who those are and the the cool thing that i did learn about you know in my reporting and i think i said this earlier is the fact that all of the entertainment aspects that are directly related to this race are included in your ticket i know i've heard some folks complain a little bit about how expensive these tickets are um and and certainly I mean, IndyCar has some incredible values when you talk about ticket prices um, uh, across the board um, at, at a lot of these venues where you could get, you know, pretty used to spending probably only, you know, 30 dollars $50 a day to see an IndyCar race is, and being able to walk around and seeing it from all these different vantage points is a pretty special thing to, to be able to have. And it, Nashville isn't necessarily set up to be one of those, but I think you also do get a lot of value out of your ticket if any of those concerts um, even remotely interest you and you've got options to, I mean, you've got options to be able to watch this race from a, a suite uh, inside a, a football stadium, which is pretty wild. Um, that's one of the perks that comes from uh, IndyCar and Big Machine Music City Grand Prix partnership with the, the Tennessee Titans in both running around their stadium uh, with the course, you know, with the pit lane being right there and also being able to utilize pretty much all of their facilities from what I understand. Um, you know, I'd say that, I mean, just, I guess I probably just touched on it. I think the thing I'm most excited about is the potential for this event to be something that stays on the calendar with staying power not just for a couple years, but truly for 5, 10, 20, more than that years down the road. I've got a story that will be running tomorrow on CityStar.com that talks about some of the, the incredible potential of this race, but also some of the pitfalls that we've seen from events that I think at the start of them were hoping to be what this Nashville race purports itself, that it's going to be, you know, in terms of, uh, Boston, which didn't run at all, uh, Baltimore, Houston, Sao Paulo, um, and all of those events started within the last 11 years. So we've seen a lot of uh, what not to do in terms of how to turn these street races into long-standing parts of the IndyCar calendar, and I do certainly have a lot of faith that this group, uh, this ownership group that extends to names like... Um, Justin Timberlake and Dale Earnhardt Jr., Justin Marks, um, the the backing that the the folks at Big Machine uh, Label Group and Big Machine 
um, vodka and, and that conglomerate company has. Um, I just think it's it's not. I wouldn't say it's too big to fail, but I think it's got every piece in place that, uh, barring something really wild happening, certainly seems like it's um, that the that failure is, is not going to be something that we're going to be associating with this event in, in a decade or so. So, um, maybe one last thing: what are what are some of the difficulties that you, as a driver, have to take into account when you're going to a track? that has not been raced upon, not only one that you haven't raced on for the first time, but one mm -hmm. that no one has raced on. Does it make it easier? Does it level the playing field in some way? Um, or are there difficulties because you just don't have any truly track-specific data outside of the simul simulator that you guys can really rely on? I mean, it definitely is a leveler. I think it's kind of hard to say it's not. Uh, you know, big conversation has to do with my engineer is, you know, what do we think the track is going to be? But then at that point, it's purely speculation on that side, right? You know, there's not that much testing time to try and decide, you know, what setup do we want to go with? Is it going to be like Detroit? Is it going to be like Long Beach, St. Pete? You know, what street circuit can we try and make it seem the most similar to in setup? You know, honestly, after that, it's it's just the, the classic, you know, how's a tire dead going to be in the race? Uh, you know, where are we going to likely to improve and you know find the most time where we're going to be vulnerable at losing time you know and there's just a lot of unknowns frankly you know going into the race that we won't know uh, even more so than how sometimes we don't know than, than ever before and I, I do think it's a leveler it's an opportunity for everybody to go and try and figure that out um probably more question marks going into Nashville than, than ever before but the difference is this time everyone's in the same boat you know so mm. I hope between you know me and Elio at Maya Shank and you know our technical partnership with all the drivers and Dre Autosport that we can hopefully get on a uh, you know a successful path and get on it quickly and you know just after that try and chip away methodically through the weekend you know we don't know what the track grip's going to be like we don't know how the track is going to evolve you know, when we go to like St. Petersburg, places like that, we already have some of those pieces of information. We're obviously heading into Nashville. We have nothing other than, you know, what we did on the simulator. And um, the first time that a lot of us will have actually stepped foot on the track, most likely will be for the track walk tomorrow. So it's, uh, it's going to be a really interesting weekend, mate. I think I agree with all the points you mentioned and why it's, why it's a pro and, um, I think it's. It seems like it's being set up for longevity, which I think is awesome. And um, yeah, I hope that it's. I hope it's a good weekend for us because it's one of them. It's one of them cities and races that you want to have a good result at because it's such a fun event, or at least it looks like it's going to be a fun event. So, uh, you know, my my personal goal have a have a good weekend. Obviously, you know, make sure we finish the season strong. In our last six races, you know, for myself and my shank racing, and um, obviously that starts having a good weekend in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, uh, with that, we will cap things on this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly. As I mentioned, uh, racing content that I believe is airing on Peacock both Friday and Saturday afternoons, and then you've got your race on NBC Sports for. 
um, for those of you living in the Eastern time zone at 5.30 following the NASCAR Cup race this weekend at Watkins Glen. Um, hope you guys all tune in. Hope you guys enjoy this race. If you have any questions about the race, certainly shoot me uh, an email, nlbrown at gannett.com. Reach out to me on Twitter. Um, but we will look forward to continuing to have uh, several episodes of this podcast as we push into this last significant stretch of the IndyCar season. Um, thanks, as always, Jack, for uh, for being a part and jumping on and, and telling us a, a little bit of your, uh, your story and a little bit of info on your uh, past, present, and future heading into the, the rest of this year and beyond. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on again, and uh, I look forward to this time next week, I guess. All right. Thanks, folks, for listening to this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly.